sermons on the idea of God's house. And this morning we're looking at 1 Timothy, we're looking at chapter 3, verse 14, to chapter 4, verse 10. This is the reading of God's word. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now the Spirit says expressly that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have put our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Amen. It's a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks for... Uh, this word, I pray that it would be a timely word. I pray that it would be a word that stirs us up to love you and to love your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This last week, uh, I met up with a group of pastors. Uh, every now and again, I, I meet up with a group of pastors for encouragement. Uh, this last week, I met up with some pastors from different denominations, different races, ministering in different parts of the city. We gathered together just to encourage each other. Uh, to pray for each other, and uh, the story. When pastors get together, we just share all of our uh, stuff, you know, all of our problems and difficulties. And most of the pastors shared very similar things. They're in churches, big and small, all across the city, and most of them said the same things, which is it's really hard to do ministry in Los Angeles. You know that people are constantly shifting from place to place, job to job. From church to church, uh, there's high turnover in churches, and it's difficult. Uh, one pastor was saying that his people, uh, his people have, one pastor was saying his people have internet pastors. Like they have him as their pastor, but they also have internet pastors that they listen to and that they follow. And just the difficulties of keeping people rooted in a church community. You know, being a church in Los Angeles is hard. It's hard. There's all kinds of distractions and barriers from people committing to the family of God, which is the church. And so we come to First Timothy to learn, really, again, what, what is the church really about? What does it mean to be a church in the city? Uh, what are the priorities of the church? What does the leadership of the church look like? Every week we're taking a different look at... Uh, what the church should be about. Last week we talked about prayer in the church. The church is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. It's supposed to be a place where people from all different parts of the country and the city, they can gather together to lift up their voice to God. It's a beautiful idea. 
Uh, today we're looking at this idea that the church is uh, founded, is centered on the truth of God. We're looking at the idea of the truth of God or the word of God being the center, being the foundation of the church. We live in a time where the truth is under fire. Uh, truth is uh, relative, where truth has become politicized and privatized. And in this time, more than ever, the church needs to be about the truth, speak the truth, but to do it in a loving in a uh, humble way. So today we're going to look at the idea of truth and staying the church's call to speak the truth, to stay faithful to the truth. So we're going to look at three things this morning as we look at the idea of truth. One is telling the truth. The church's mission is to tell the truth and build people up in the truth. Secondly, there's challenges to the truth, especially today. There are all these challenges to this idea of absolute truth. We're going to talk about that. And finally, we're going to talk about not just knowing the truth, but this idea of experiencing the truth of God, of stepping into the story of God. That last thing. The, so the first thing that I want to look at today is just this calling of the church. And every week we've been looking at First Timothy. It's a letter that Apostle Paul uh, wrote to his protege. He has a young protege. Um, Paul talked about this idea of, in Vietnam, a passing of uh, leadership. Uh, and that's really important in any type of ministry, that leadership is able to be passed on. So Paul, as he is an apostle, is passing on leadership. He's training up other leaders to come after him. And he's training up Timothy. He's a young man. He's a minister of the gospel. And he writes this letter to encourage him and also to instruct him about how he should lead the church. Last week we looked at this idea of prayer, but this week we're looking at this idea of truth. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15, this is what Paul says. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In chapter 3, Paul calls the church God's house. It's an amazing idea. It's not that God lives in the church, uh, but the house is the people of God. And by saying that the church is God's house, he's saying the church is the place where God moves, is building his people. Is, the church is the place where God displays his glory. The church is the bride of Christ. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, people of God that God is building. Um, we heard uh, from Pastor Paul, Missionary Paul, this morning, not Apostle Paul, but Missionary Paul in Vietnam. And one of the strategies that he, does, he employs with uh, churches historically is that they move the gospel by planting new churches. So they train up new pastors to start churches all over the place. And those churches God powerfully uses to build up his people and to spread the gospel. The church is God's institution, God's people, uh, God's power to move the kingdom. Uh, the key to, the key to, so what is the church about? Here we're, we're seeing that the key to the church, one of the keys is truth. In verse um, 15, Paul says the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. What is the church about? 
Paul says the church is so important because it's a pillar and the buttress of the truth. Paul is using architectural terms. He says that the church is God's house, the things that support the church. A pillar supported a building. A buttress can be a foundation. And what Paul is saying is that the thing that keeps the church up, the thing that supports the church is the truth. The truth grounds the, ch- the church. The truth is also the thing that the church is espousing and teaching and proclaiming. The truth is so foundational to the church. John Stott says this, The church depends on the truth for its existence. The truth depends on the church for its defense and proclamation. He's saying that the church needs the truth, but also the truth needs the church. Uh, Sam Albury, in his book on the church, says this, The church is the means by which God's truth reaches into his world. The church is the earthly outlet for God's truth, the embassy that represents him. Albury says that the world knows the truth through the church. The church is God's embassy. It's speaking to the world the truth of God. That's why what's pivotal in the church and what Paul is continually telling Timothy is he's continually telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to continue to preach the truth. In 2 Timothy, the second letter, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, preach the Bible. Preach the word in season and out of season. Don't preach your own opinions and your thoughts, but preach the Bible, the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 This is what Paul tells Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says, go back to the Bible, Timothy. Teach it again and again, because it's not just the written words of men, but Paul tells Timothy, it's breathed out by God himself. That the scriptures are not a man-made document redacted through the years, but it has been breathed out. God breathed it out. Not only that, but the scriptures is all you need in order to know God, know the way of salvation, and to be equipped for everything God wants from you in your life. Uh, God's scripture is sufficient, not for everything, but for you to know God and to know his will and to know your calling in life. The scripture is all you need to be totally and absolutely equipped to do the will of God. That's why Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, get back to that scripture. Know that scripture. Preach that word. Preach that truth all the time. And the scripture then is central to what the church is about. Uh, but one of the second reasons why the, church, the truth is so important is because there's so many challenges to the truth. This is the second point. Paul talks about the importance of truth, the scripture, but all the more because there are all these lies that are being spread in Timothy's time, in our time. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 to 3, uh, he gives us the backdrop for this teaching. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriages and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving 
by those who believe and know the truth. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I want you to be so focused on teaching the truth because, because not only is it going to equip you, but because there's so many lies being spread about God. In Paul's time, there are all these false teachers claiming to be apostles, saying, Paul, man, you're not the real apostle I am. There are all these false teachers distorting the truth, adding on things to the gospel. Anytime you add something to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. They added all kinds of requirements in order to follow God. They told people like you can't get married, you can't eat these certain foods. They added all kinds of requirements to the word of God. Uh, Paul was preaching and Timothy was doing ministry in the context of lies, of myths, of misinformation. And that's all the more reason why we need the truth. Paul's time is just like our time today. We live in a time where, I said in the beginning, the truth has become very politicized. Uh, The truth has become privatized. It's not about truth, but my truth. I don't care what your truth is. I have my own truth. I'm living in my truth. Truth has become trivialized. Everybody, uh, and the truth is hard to come by. We live in an age of misinformation, where it's hard to detect the truth from a lie. I'm a kind of person now, I've come to the point when I'm on social media and someone posts an article, I immediately doubt it. I'm like, I don't know about that. Like, where is the source? Is this a blog? Is this someone's opinion? Uh, Is this a reputable news source? Uh, There's so many scammers coming at you. Uh, Last month, I received a phone call from an unknown number. And I didn't know the number, so I don't pick up any numbers that uh, I don't know. They called three times, so I like blocked them, blocked this person. Uh, my wife calls like 10 minutes later, is like, Dennis, why didn't you pick up your phone? That was the school calling. You know, Zadie is sick. You need to go pick her up. I was like, I, man, I didn't know that. I thought this was a scammer. I was getting very annoyed. I was getting very annoyed at them. And everybody who texts me or call me, I'm like a paranoid, skeptical person now. <laughs> you know, everything I read or people who call me, I'm like paranoid. We live in an age in which uh, there's so much misinformation, so many imposters, so many scammers, so much false information out there. And this is not just in uh, a secular world, but especially in the spiritual world. There's so many false teachers. There's so many people claiming to be from God. There's so many people on television, on the internet, on podcasts, proclaiming certain truths about God. And how do we know the truth from the lie? You know, how do we differentiate between the two? And the answer is we really need to know the truth of God, especially in the context of now. Um, Paul says that the Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He pretends like he's a pastor, a preacher, a teacher to deceive people. In the second uh, letter that Paul writes to Timothy, this is what he says in chapter 4, verse 3. This is 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 3. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Paul says, well, there's a time coming, which is probably right now, where instead of listening to the Bible and to truth, people are going to turn aside from the truth. And they're going to pick 
teachers who simply agree with them. They're going to teach, pick teachers who tickle their ears. Tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear, but they want to hear. And instead of uh, believing and listening to truth, they're going to wander into myths. And we wonder if that time is now. Uh, so many people treat the Bible like an a la carte menu. Where they're going to select, I like certain things about the Bible, I don't like these other things. I like some truths here in the Bible, but other truths I don't know about. And when we do that, when we pick and choose what we want to believe concerning the Bible, the idea is that we have created our own God. You know, the second commandment is you should not make for yourself an idol. And the idea of an idol is that we take this grand, glorious God and we reduce God and we make him small. God says we were made in his image. We're made in God's image. But idolatry is making God in our own image. Idolatry is when we take God and we make him small and we make him like us. So it fits into our agenda. So God fits into our desires. That's idolatry. Idolatry is some of us have made God into a travel-sized God. We made God into a fun-sized God. He fits in our pocket. Uh, He's convenient. He's easy to travel with and roll with. The problem is when we reduce God and make God small is that a travel-sized, fun-sized God cannot rescue you, cannot comfort you, cannot amaze you. You know, when you have serious problems in your life, when you're facing illness, sickness, divorce, or death, when you really need a God, a travel-sized God's not going to help you. A fun-sized God can only give you a fun-sized peace. It can't change your life. And what we need is all the, the, the glory of a king, of his, of his beauty, of his majesty. And only that God can save us. Uh, the God of the scriptures to speak into our lives. Uh, we need to constantly make sure that we're reading the Bible, not selectively, uh, but we're reading and we're letting the Bible speak into our lives and speak to us, to our needs, our desires. We need the Bible to challenge us. We've been talking about the idea of absolute truth in the Bible, and a lot of people, especially people today, they don't like the idea of absolute truth. They, they believe that absolute truth can lead to all kinds of abuse, authoritarianism, guilt, condemnation. So some people don't like the idea of absolute truth. Absolute truth has been used to hurt people, to terrorize people. Uh, in his book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller answers this objection to this idea of absolute truth. And this is what he says. He says, yes, of course, believing in universal moral truth can be used to oppress others. But what if it's absolute truth? But what if absolute truth is a man who died for his enemies, who did not respond with violence but forgave them? How could that story, if it's the center of your life, lead you to take up power and dominate others? Keller says that, you know, absolute truth can be used to harm other people. But what if the absolute truth that Christians believe in was a man that God himself came down not to, not to punish people, but to die for his enemies, to forgive them? The last words of Jesus on the cross was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What if the absolute truth we believe in is God dying for his enemies? If that's really the absolute truth, the center of your life, 
well, you're, gonna, you're not going to be condemning people, but it's going to lead you to a life of forgiveness, of compassion. That was the Apostle Paul's life. He, he believed this powerful gospel which led him to a ministry of forgiveness, of freedom, of liberation. The absolute truth of God, if you are a Christian and believe that to be an absolute truth, should humble you, should make you more tolerant, more forgiving, more compassionate. You know, the idea of truth, um, one of the challenges is how can we even believe this Christian truth? Uh, And Paul really thinks about that question, and this is what he says in verse 16. Why should we even believe the truth of Christianity? In 1 Timothy 3.16, this is how Paul answers that question. He says, great indeed, we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And Paul breaks into this idea of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, why it is the truth. And what does he say? Well, he summarizes the life of Jesus, but notice what he says at the very end. He says, this is not just my testimony. This is not just my truth that I believe in. But he says, he was proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. That the gospel message, one of the, the, the reasons you should believe it's true is that it's a testimony not just of individuals, but it's been preached among the nations. We just heard a word from uh, Pastor Paul in, in uh, Cambodia. He's talking about how the gospel is growing in Southeast Asia. All around South, Southeast Asia, whether it's Cambodia or Vietnam or the greater Asia area like China, Christianity is exploding. One of the greatest places it's exploding is Africa and African countries. The gospel is exploding. And the testimony for the last 2,000 years is that billions upon billions of people all around the world crossing all kinds of geographic boundaries are calling upon the name of the Lord, are testifying to the truthfulness of scriptures. That's my own testimony. I don't believe in Jesus because I just read, a, read this ancient text, uh, but I've had a personal encounter with Jesus And it's not just my testimony, the testimony of all of these people from all throughout the ages. Paul says you should believe this truth because it was proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. Paul is giving testimony to the truthfulness of scriptures. Paul is telling to Timothy, Timothy, keep preaching this truth. This truth transforms lives. This truth has been proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. Uh, We need this truth, especially in the midst of all these counterfeit gods, these counterfeit truths. But here's the last point. We We need to be a church that not only proclaims the truth and is founded on the truth, uh, but we need to step into the truth and experience. And this is the last point I want to look at. Uh, A lot of Christians know a lot of things about the Bible. And the point of Christianity is not just to know a lot of things about God. The point of the scriptures is uh, that scripture to embody and to know relationally the God of the universe, the God who loves us. And we are to experience that truth in a profound way. In 1 Timothy 4.13, this is what Paul says. Until I come, devote yourself to public, to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. 
Paul tells Timothy, break down the truth in three ways. These are three steps. These are three different levels of the truth. And the first level is, he says, read the scriptures. That's the first way to understand truth is just to read it. Uh, this is the public reading of scriptures in a service. It's also reading the Bible by yourself. It's the first very basic step to knowing truth. But the second thing he says is exhortation. Well, what is that? Exhortation is this idea of not just the truth generally, but specifically speaking truth to people by way of encouragement or comfort. Exhortation is taking truth and specifically giving it to someone with encouragement, with love, with support. Preaching in many ways is exhortation. Preaching is not just a person reading the Bible out loud, but it is a preacher taking the truth and applying it to specific people and encouraging them with those words. Uh, Preaching, as one person said, is truth on fire. It's taking truths, but it's on fire. It's personalized. It's to you. I don't know if you ever had this experience. I hope if you're a church member at City Light, you've had this experience where you're sitting in the church in a service and you feel like the pastor is speaking right to you. Have you ever had that experience? Like, man, the pastor must have read my mind because he's speaking right to my circumstance, to who I am. And why is that? It's that it's because a pastor, my job is to whenever I prepare for a sermon, I'm thinking about individual people. Like as I write that sermon, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about people. That's why we can't just have internet pastors. Internet pastors, they don't know who you are. Uh, But your pastor can know who you are, know exactly your circumstance, and preach an appropriate word, a specific word, specific to who you are. That's exhortation. We need that not just from the pulpit, but in in our personal life. You need people in your life, friends, church members, who can take the word of God and apply it, speak it to you specifically, give you a timely word to encourage you to speak truth into your life. We need truth to stir us up. We need truth to be spoken personally, specifically to us. But the third level is this teaching. He says not only read it, get exhortation, truth on fire, but finally you need teaching. What's the difference between exhortation and teaching? Exhortation is stirring our spirit. Teaching is stimulating our mind. Teaching has an intellectual element to it. It's breaking down the scriptures. It's digging deep into the scriptures. Here at City Light, we have uh, something called Adult Sunday School. We have it once a month. Uh, we're, We're trying to do it more regularly. Some churches do it every week. And Adult Sunday School is digging deep into the scriptures. Uh, the last Sunday, uh, adult Sunday school we had, we talked about the Old Testament, a survey of the Old Testament. And what I did there is I broke down the Old Testament. I looked at the Old Testament to different parts of prophecies, of history, uh, of poetry. I looked at the timeline of the Bible from creation, the patriarchs. We looked at uh, the wilderness wanderings, the people, the church of God in Egypt, to the wilderness wanderings, the conquest, to the different exiles. We looked at the Old Testament as Christocentrically. It's pointing to a savior, a need for a king, a true prophet, a true priest. We need teaching. Teaching is breaking down the scriptures. We need doctrine, which is taking different strands of scripture and bringing it into a coherent singular uh, doctrine. Uh, 
Uh, we need preaching, exhortation to stir our spirit. We need teaching to stimulate our mind. The Bible is, we need all of that because the Bible is not just for our head, but for our heart, for our spirit, for our soul. I love this idea that the Bible has different genres. Uh, right in the middle of the uh, scriptures, there are, there's poetry, there's psalms, there's wisdom literature. And the idea of the Bible is written in different ways, different parts, because it's not just for our head. Uh, we, are, we need truth to stimulate our mind, yeah, but to, tr- to stir our spirit and to lead us into action. But ultimately, the truth and needs to be experienced in the person of Jesus. And this is the final idea, that ultimately we experience the truth through a relationship with Jesus and knowing who Jesus is. The way that truth becomes not abstract and the way God becomes not abstract is through the person of Jesus. You know, one interesting thing about uh, First and Second Timothy is whatever Paul is talking about, he can talk, be talking about leadership in the church. He can talk about godliness. Whatever Paul is talking about, he always brings it back to Jesus. Jesus is really the anchor. Uh, truth in the Bible is not some abstract principle, but truth in the Bible has come to us in a person, the person of Jesus. And what John says at the beginning of his gospel is Jesus is full of grace and truth. That Jesus embodies the truth. And truth comes to us. And we're changed by the truth in the person of Jesus. In 1 Timothy 4, 9-10, this is what he says. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Uh, Timothy, uh, Paul brings Timothy back to Jesus. And he, he always tells Timothy, Timothy, preach Jesus. Paul says, I, didn't know, I don't know anything in my preaching except Jesus and him crucified. And he brings it back to Jesus here uh, in this text. He says, Jesus is, uh, we've set our hope on the living God, that God is not dead. He's not a dead God. He's not a historical God, but he's living and he says, this God, speaking of Jesus, who's the Savior of all people. And that's a key phrase throughout First Timothy, all people. Jesus did not just come for the righteous people. He didn't just come for the good people. He didn't just come for people of one nation. But God is a God of all, he's a Savior of all people, all kinds of people. That God didn't, didn't just come for the good people, but for the unrighteous, for the broken, for the sinful, for the addict, for the misfit. Uh, for those people who are down and out, Jesus has come for you. That there's nothing you can ever do that God's grace is not deep and wide enough to forgive, to heal, to restore. He didn't come just for people of the United States or one nation, but the gospel is going out to all the nations. It's the good news that transcends all things. And seeing the truth in, the, in a person of Jesus that encounter with Jesus is the thing that will change your life. As we close, I wanted to close with this one story. Uh, one of my favorite uh, Christian authors, his name is Eugene Peterson, and he was a prolific Christian author. He also uh, translated the Bible into a paraphrased translation called The Message. Uh, Eugene Peterson de- died last year, and he left a legacy uh, but one of his most important legacies was a legacy he left for his son, Leif. 
At his funeral last year, Leif shared a secret. He shared about his father. He said that his father told him uh, that he'd fooled everyone for the last 29 years of his pastoral ministry. He says, I fooled everyone. Uh, He's told his son, Leif, I only had one message. You know, I told that message for the last 29 years. I didn't have any other messages. And uh, he said, this is my message of my whole ministry. And he, Leif also said that my dad came into my room late at night before I went to bed, frequently when he was a child, and he told him this message. He says, Leif, this is the whole message of the Bible. He says, God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you, and he is relentless. That, that whole, he's, you know, Eugene Peterson, he, he's, he uh, translated the whole Bible. He's a prolific author, but he says, you know what, Leif, let me just break it down to you. Let me give you the cliff notes of that whole thing, that long Bible. Hey, God loves you. He's coming after you. Uh, he's on your side. He's not against you. His love is relentless. And that's the truth. And that's the absolute truth, but that can also be your truth. It would be the truth that uh, sets you free. It's a truth that liberates you. It's a truth that we don't beat people over the head with it, but it's good news. The absolute truth of God, here's the thing, is good news. Can you believe that? It's not a God of judgment, God who's here to condemn you, but it's the, good, it's the best news you ever heard. The God of this universe loves us and has sent his son for us. And that's the truth we need to repeat to ourselves. And that's why we need to read that truth in all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. We need to, we need to have that truth stir our hearts and our spirit. Not just intellectually, but it needs to stir our emotions. It's a truth that we need to have it spoken to us and preached to us. And we need to dig deeper into that truth. And we need to finally share that truth with other people because... Uh, like Paul says, the good news is going out to the nations and it's believed on by all the people. Would that truth be the truth which frees you, liberates you, and fills you? Would our church be a church of that truth to the city of Los Angeles? Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks that your truth is not abstract. It's not distant, and in so many ways, it's not complicated. And thank you for the truth that you've sent your son, Jesus, that you've died, not for good people, but for your enemies. Thank you that your love is relentless, that you relentlessly love us. Thank you that no matter how far you run, your grace is faster, uh, your patience is everlasting. Thank you for Jesus who forgives his enemies. Uh, Father, uh, sometimes we run from the truth. We make you small in our lives. Uh, We live in lies. Uh, We chase down these lies. And we know that these lies ultimately disappoint us. They are dead ends. And uh, it fills us with shame and regret and remorse. And thank you for the truth that your truth sets us free. (laughs) Your truth is good news. Help us to be a church that loves your truth. Help us to be a church that speaks your truth. Help us to be a church that digs into your truth and digs out the riches of the goodness and the glory of God. Teach us to 
not just believe the truth and also but to live it out in our everyday life and that we would be godly people who love you and who receive your love thank you so much for this time we pray this in jesus name amen